This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, and welcome to episode 206 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Brady. I'm joined by David. Uh, no Jordan this week. Uh, a lot like Georgia State men's basketball team, we're working on our two-man game. This week, uh, Georgia State loses two on the road last week uh, in men's basketball to App State and Georgia Southern. Two more on the road this week. We'll look at the past. We'll look at the present. We'll look at the future uh, after kind of the opposite of last week where they win two and everything's feeling a lot more hunky-dory. But we're going to start off this week talking about a little bit of football news, also of the not-super-great variety for Georgia State. Uh, Two receivers have announced their intentions to enter the transfer portal as graduates, uh, Tyleek Williams and Jakari Carter. Uh, Tyleek Williams really had his breakout this season for Georgia State. He was second on the team in receiving yards with 615 and receiving touchdowns with six. Uh, Jakari Carter was an addition this past offseason from FCS Merrimack, and he was third on the team in uh, receiving yards with 276. And so with Robert Lewis's departure for Auburn, uh, Williams and Carter leaving this week, and with Marcus Carroll transferring to Missouri, that is four of the five top receivers for Georgia State in the 2023 season who have now left the team heading into next year. Uh, the lone stats that remain are Kadarius Thompson's 266 receiving yards. Uh, so he was the fourth leading receiver. So we we're just start there. Uh, this is like the worst time to have any kind of transfer news uh, because the team can't do anything about it for another couple of weeks officially and uh, having visits and so on. And so it is a blow. And it's certainly after Robert Lewis left, it was like, all right, you probably need to add a receiver. And then when the Tyreek Williams news dropped, my first instinct was like, okay, now you definitely have to add a receiver. And then Jakari Carter also announced he was going to leave. And so it just kept raising echelon by echelon to where it's like, yeah, you're going to have to add couple of guys you feel can contribute right away because you now are without any returning experience that you can really speak to in the wide receiver room. Yeah. You know, the transfer portal and I guess just where Georgia state stands is they're really trying to play some sort of like hard mode for their passing offense going into this year. Uh, you know, we, we talked at, at nauseum about the quarterback position, so I won't rehash, you know, a lot of that, but I feel like given where they are right this second, I expected them to throw the ball a little bit more. Um, and you know, I don't want to say that that isn't going to happen. I don't want to say that the people who have transferred are transferring for anything other than the reason of, I'm just going to transfer. It's the way that 2023, 2024 is. So I can transfer. I'm going to transfer. You know, I don't think it's anything schematic because I, you know, how would I even know that? But that being said, it's interesting to me that you see two wide receivers like this, transfer when they transfer you know i feel like if this was a month ago you know okay that would make a little bit of sense and you know it really stings for georgia state to have this transfer happen when it did um because like you said they can't really do anything about it and you know they certainly can't add someone to replace them now for spring practice like you can get a transfer the next couple weeks and be like okay that guy's good but you lose the opportunity to enroll them and have them go through spring practice which now you're looking at 
a bunch of young guys are going to get some reps in spring practice as a receiver. Some of them might not be scholarship guys, you know, just for the numbers of whoever is there that can go out there. Exactly. You know, and is that good for those guys and their potential development? Sure, absolutely. Um, is that likely in the best interest of a Georgia State team that still has, you know, the goals that they have and would like to, you know, be playing postseason football next, you know, at the end of this year, upcoming year you can Probably say next not. year we're still not yeah i'm, just, just, I'm say struggling. Next year. just roll with it okay i'm okay. gonna i'm gonna next say next year. year um yeah i'm struggling so we aren't might there as well. yet we don't need to like pretend it's like the constant rolling season just because we're in the year 2024 that's fair you know i know that college football has a 24 365 news cycle but you know we can still say next so. year and, and to the point you mentioned about like the timing of this it is it's a function of the way this is set up both these guys are leaving as grad transfers and graduate transfers are the currently the only people who can go into the portal right now. And that's part of the reason I think they're in now, like you ask why, or you're, you're saying why not a month ago. It's, you know, we kind of saw this Jamar Jamari thrash where last year, I think it was in February or very early February, maybe it was January when he announced he was going to go to the portal. It was kind of the same idea where when he left, he was one of the most sought after guys. And we obviously saw him land at Louisville, have a lot of success there. And I think it's in the same function of like, this is the window. This is the window where their possible landing spot is maximized. And I'm interested to see where they land. Uh, I think Tyleek, certainly, I mean, we talked about it all year. Just once he had worked out the ball security issues that had haunted him last year, like, no one on this team had the top line speed that he had. And we saw when this offense was going really well, that Trent McKnight found really creative ways to get him the ball in space and just kind of let him cook. And so that's certainly going to show up on tape. I think you're going to get some offensive minds that are interested in getting a guy like that in there. Um, I don't know whether it'll be at the, the P five or the power conference level, or if it's going to be another G five, I think it would be a real disappointment for Georgia state fans and coaches, everyone, uh, if they see Tyleek lining up somewhere in another G5, just because it wouldn't feel like you lost him for some kind of major step up. But I also don't know that like necessarily he's going to land at like a top, top spot. I don't know if he's going to land as somewhere as good as maybe Louisville. Um, just because measurables are always the obsessive thing going on with those programs. And the fumble issues aren't that far in the past. And He's definitely not as full, complete a receiver as like Jamari was, but I certainly think we'll see him land somewhere good and somewhere at this level. I don't really know with Jakari Carter, and I I don't really get this one from his point of view. Uh, Best of luck to him, obviously, but like he had filled a nice little role here. He had been kind of like a quasi tight end with the way that he was using this offense, and I think his usage was going to go up this year. He was returning punts a lot of the year as well, and I, I assume he would have a chance to do that again, although they'd bring in uh, Jerron Gilmore, who did that at Tennessee Tech, so maybe that was going to change, but still possibly going to get reps there in special teams. And It feels like with what he put on tape, I mean, at Merrimack, he put up some big numbers here. He filled a nice little role, but it wasn't something major, and so I do kind of wonder where he's going to end up I, I think for him, it'd be if he lands at an G5, I'd be happy for him not having, you know, a level back down to FCS after making the jump. I don't know that I see him landing at a power conference spot just because you're 230 receiving yards here and no touchdowns. And 
So I'm curious, and I, I guess because we think they're leaning more into the passing game, how much, especially now with the guys they've lost now, um, remains to be seen. But I think they're going to do more of it. And so I am also left wondering kind of just why, just because it felt like especially Jakari was going to be due for a bump up in role. I don't know if Tyleek was going to get any more of a role so much as he had already gotten 600 receiving yards and done a, a nice job in 2023. But Jakari, it felt like, was going to step up and be kind of a reliable option for Zach Gibson, whoever's the starting quarterback, because you were already losing top receiver Robert Lewis. Yeah, and I mean, to kind of walk back to the other side of my comments, I suppose you could say, it's Georgia State. They're going to run the ball, you know, and so – all of this has really kind of just left me um, in the same position that we were when we didn't know, you know, of any quarterback transfers. It's just there's a lot of question marks that are going into the fall. And at this point, it's just going to really be on the staff to put their best foot forward. And, you know, they've shown that they can put good offenses together. I'm not saying that I don't have faith in them to put good offenses together. Um but I will say good luck because, you know, they're going to need to pull another rabbit out of their hat like they did, you know, the last couple of years. And, you know, that's just kind of how it is and how you got to be a good G5 coach. You know, the stability that you see at the quarterback position isn't necessarily there at every school anymore. Um, and that's just going to be part of what makes good G5 coaches. So that's going to be on, you know, Coach Elliott and company to figure out going forwards. Yeah, and like I say, I mean, I don't want to turn it into like a yelling at cloud situation, but th this is what the transfer portal is going to continue to be as far as just like the endless cycle of it. Like there's not going to be any downtime in the roster turnover for at, at any level from December when players can officially leave and submit their paperwork to go in the portal through the end of the February signing period. And then at that point, you still kind of have guys you can triple out and you can have transfers come in in the summer. Like there's not going to be any point for basically the, what used to be the traditional off season where you could do your signing days, focus on spring practice and then look towards the summer. Like it's not getting any better. And I, aside from whatever its implications are for Georgia state, you know, they will still have time between now and the fall to add players. But I just, it is such a unfortunate trickle, I think. And I think I am all for the player movement. It just the endlessness of it is going to burn out coaches. I don't think it's going to help out players because, you know, you're going to have promises that are already going to be broken. If someone else is coming to the portal at this time that a coach wants to go out and grab that maybe they said something to someone who signed in December and their role is already going to change because someone else is coming in to say nothing of whether it's good that a guy is going to be at, you know, three schools in five years or whatever it might be. Uh, but that is a, a question I think above our pay grades. Um, right now they're not letting us make decisions on transfer portal policy. We'll see what happens in the future, but I think we're going to be left out of that conversation, but I, I don't know. I, in the meantime, scholarships are there and I guess now you kind of have to point to guys like Peter Caguada who's returning who's the o Dominion transfer and the freshmen that are coming in uh Deuce Walker and Ricardo Tarver they're pretty touted recruits and right now because they haven't added that experience you might be looking at a couple of freshmen that's like all right 
coaches have had nice things, nice things to say about you. You might be playing right away because right now you can't really project that much of a wide receiver room because you've lost a lot of the guys you could have re- remembered the names of. And I, that is kind of the point. It's a trivial point, I think, because at the end of the day, what's best for the student athletes or, is the best thing. But the point of like people you could remember the names of for fans listening to this and just following all of this, it is just a, a bummer in general that you're talking about a situation where without anyone running out of eligibility, basically every receiver or pass catcher that Georgia State fans will have known from last year's team, they're already going to be on a different roster. And so like might work out in the best interest for Tyreek Williams. I'm not going to knock him for leaving. And this isn't like a reason he should hold off on a decision for him. I mean, he's got the power to make this decision, but like just as a, as a macro look at this whole situation, like Georgia state fans are going to have to learn basically a whole new receivers depth chart next year. And it's not the first time something like that's happened. It's not the only school that's happening at. And so as people are bemoaning the state of college football, I think there's some people that, you know, are mad that players are getting agency and getting money when the system is not allowed them to do that. And I don't really support people making that argument because I think that it's good that players are getting a shot to, you know, earn off of what they've been doing when there's a lot of ways the system was set up in a horrible way before, um, especially decades gone by. But I understand it from the college football fan viewpoint of just like, it, it this isn't what college football has been where you're just having to constantly have a whole new roster every year. And for the fans, just having people you can root for year after year, you know, we talked about Jordan Benziao as a linebacker here who we saw for five seasons kind of keep coming back and keep delivering for this team. And I think a lot of people have really grown to you know, gravitated to guys like Jordan the last couple of years because they've been the stalwarts that have been staying and they're the steady names that everyone knows year in, year out through the whole college career because that's how it's been for, for forever. And that is what, aside from any on-field implications, college football is certainly losing at a rapid pace. And it is a bummer. I don't know what the solution is, but I just, that part of it is not going away. It doesn't feel like either. And so everyone's going to have to kind of reckon with that. It's a good point. And, you know, we can have that conversation in the off season, but, you know, I, I really feel like people have started to kind of go on the other way with the transfer portal and they realize there is a way to make it, um, still good for the student athletes but not be what it is now you know i'm not saying that fans can read a roster a depth chart you know fans can learn new names of wide receivers you know should they have to you know we find out every year you know at some of the bigger schools that people still are able to keep up and follow with players um so i i but i agree with the essence of what that point is you know i think it should be a controlled free for all, if that makes sense. And I think there's still some room to grow in that aspect um, because, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to, I don't want to come on here and sound like I'm saying that the student athletes shouldn't, you know, do what's in their best interest because, you know, who am I just the guy, you know, that talks about them. You know, I am not. A student athlete. If it has any to do with like how a certain school is going to perform, because that's where you start to like hold it against the player. If the team's going to be worse and like that is right. Not a spot you want to be in. Right. Exactly. And like my consideration isn't even, you know, 
honestly, the and the to that effect, you know, the only thing that I can say in that regard is it really sucks for G five schools because yes, G five schools are you know going to get worse when they lose a lot of transfers. But the one thing that I have been shocked at, truthfully, is for schools who have done better the last few years. You know, the you know G five team that gets the access bowl, or you know the Troys of the G five who you know won the conference and you know blah blah i actually expected there to be less transfers at skill positions at important defensive positions than i think we have been seeing like we've been seeing the same level of attrition at those places as we're seeing at schools who you know the results on the field have been quote-unquote underperformances or you know not up to par with what you know those other schools what schools have usually expected so you know i don't know i don't know what the solution is they pay somebody millions of dollars a year to pretend they know what a solution is you know maybe they want to ask us our thoughts on it maybe they don't who cares yeah last thing on the football i just have a gut here a gut feeling i feel like you might see them adding like a fcs receiver type that's put up some really big numbers a la something like what jakari carter did last year with merrimack i just feel like they're going to go back to that well just because you look across the board and they really added some real difference makers both sides of the ball mostly on the defense but i feel like they're going to look at that again and that is a another byproduct of the way that the portal has turned that you see the g5s get rated by the p5s and the g5s in turn they get some of the P5s trickling down, but they're also going in large numbers to bring up FCS types. Georgia State certainly did that last year. I expect we'll see at least one or two more of those types, maybe at receiver, uh, going forward this year because you're kind of backed in the corner. you got to look wherever you can to get talent or replace the talent you're losing, and uh, we'll certainly follow that as that continues uh, trickle closer, closer towards spring football where we learn to answer to some of these questions. But... In the meantime, we'll stay in the present. Uh, yes, we have to talk about it. Uh, 0-2 week for Georgia State basketball. They lose 76-68 on Wednesday at Appalachian State. And they turn around on Saturday. And after beating Georgia Southern by 28 points a week before, when the trip happened, they go down to Statesboro last Saturday. Uh, Georgia Southern hit 17 threes. Uh, 17-0 run for them in the first half kind of gave them control and they end up walking away 86-70 winners. Uh, Georgia State now 9-9 and on the season and the two losses in a row this week make them 4-3 and in Sunbelt play. And we were talking about this before we started recording that I think if it had just been the App State loss, like if that was the only game or if the other game was, you know, win or maybe a less heavy defeat would be different. And maybe if it wasn't Georgia Southern, they lost to on Saturday, but like it was a game effort against a good app state team. And I think what is even more frustrating or what makes the loss on Saturday more frustrating is that it's been an inconsistent team defensively, inconsistent verging on bad at times. And they really, really scrapped with app state defensively and played it entirely the Mountaineer style, which is that of a very, uh, you know, low scoring, physical, defensive battle. It's how App wanted to play the game. And Georgia State hung around, tied it in the second half and made it a 40 minute game. And then they turned around against a Georgia Southern team who is 
not good defensively, has not been good defensively all season, and who you just put 90 on, and you couldn't hang with them, and you, and you made them look like just as good, if not better, of a, a defensive team than Georgia Southern. Playing that performance after what should have been an encouraging, if disappointing, close loss on Wednesday, that, you know, it's the, the results in pairing that really just hammers home how bad Saturday was. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm really shocked, I suppose, by the way that both of these games were. I thought that if App State played their brand of basketball against Georgia State, that Georgia State was going to have to make their threes like a good, strong clip, a clip that they haven't really been doing much of this year to really hang. But Georgia State was in that game, you know, playing App State's brand of basketball. Georgia State hit 10 threes, so they, you know, they did hit their shots. Um, but it wasn't just that they were hitting the threes. I think they they found and you know most of that was in the second half actually. They hit nine of 20 in the second half and we were only one for eight in the first half. Um and I mean you can very clearly see that they you know they were down nine at halftime. But I think at the same time, I really expected Georgia State to either control the game how they wanted to if they were going to be successful, um, instead of letting App State kind of dictate pace and you know really be that grindy team. And Georgia State really pushed like I feel like Georgia State really pushed App. Like the final score might be an eight-point loss. I would not say that App State was really... It was really... a four-point game, and Georgia State had the ball in the final minute and change. Exactly. You know, uh, Georgia State really, really pushed App to make sure that they would keep that the lead that they had. There was no lead changes in the game, but that, like, it... I hope I am, you know, describing how I really think that the game ended up being close and then just some, you know, situational stuff at the very end there caused it to look like what it did. And, you know, that happens. That's that's how basketball works. Um, and to, it's not not why they lost, but Dewan Odom was out the final like seven, eight ish minutes of the App State game. He had severe cramps, uh, ended up playing again on Saturday before. I guess we'll get to it later. Uh look to suffer another injury or continuation of his injury. But like you did get into a tie game with a good team on the road and lose your starting point guard who basically runs your offense. And it's not like why they lost. It's not an excuse. It's whatever. But like you talk about late game situations, not going your way. That would be an understandable reason why they weren't at full strength at that moment. They needed it. They were down there floor general. Exactly. You know, and that's certainly something that impacted them. Um, but and to agree with you that it's not an excuse, my it's not even I don't normally I would say my counter, but like I said, it's not a counter. They had Dwan for more on Saturday, and the defensive performance was even worse. Um, and I think, you know, I'm about to compliment Georgia Southern, so forgive me, but you know, they hit their threes and. I would have to go back and see. I would be shocked if Georgia State has had a game this year where they've hit 17 threes. And that honestly is probably your ball game against this Georgia State team, even when they are, in fact, hitting their threes. And they, you know, they didn't have a great shooting day. You know, we'll talk about, you know, that game a little bit more specific, specifically. But, you know, juxtaposing the Georgia Southern game where, I mean, it was a track meet at the rim. It was a track meet at the three-point line. And Georgia State couldn't stop either of them to then just really forcing App State to play 
really forcing App State to play a full 40 minutes to get those 76 points. I mean, I don't know what to think about this defense because I I think that there is certainly some talent there, but they're going to have to be a lot more consistent than they were this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think that ahead of the game, we talked about it some. I think other people probably would notice as well. Just the size, the the guys that App State has that could cause problems down low. That's what happened. You know, Leslie and Carrywom was two of six shooting. Uh, Jaden Turner, one of three down low. Jermaine Mann, two of six. Uh, basically, no one with the exception of Brendan Tucker, four of seven, had a particularly great, efficient shooting uh, percentage down low uh, inside the arc. And it's because you had Justin Abson who had three blocks. You had Trevon Spillers, didn't get a block, but was also in there getting rebounds, contesting shots. Uh, CJ Huntley, two blocks. And it's not even just the seven blocks App State has the team. There were additional, probably into the double figures of missed shots by Georgia state that were affected by the app state size. Then you look at just the overall rebounding number uh, app state was plus 15. Yeah. That was significant. And we were talking about, Hey, they've been plus 4.1 heading into this game as a rebound margin that that being Georgia state, maybe they got a chance to hang. Maybe it plays out a different way. You can have better outings from guys, you know, ball bounces a different way, but they needed it to at least be more about breaking even the boards, not getting just absolutely hammered on them. You understand it. And it's certainly why this is not a great matchup for Georgia state because they've been a good rebounding team, but teams with size like app state going to have an advantage in that regard still. And you saw that play out, but I did think it was encouraging and you know, the word encouraging kind of goes out the door a little bit after Saturday, but you got to at least let that be a one game. And you got to remember that that was a rivalry that the other team had lost by 28 the time before. And so you were going to expect a response there, but they were down by nine and they were in the game, but there was no reason for sure that they could have, you know, we're definitely going to fight back. They were going to have to do something. Like you mentioned, they were one of eight from three in the first half and they said, look, we're going to have to start just shooting some threes and shoot our way out of this because if we keep doing what we did the entire first half against App State, nothing's really going to change. Like There was nothing that you were going to be able to unlock offensively if you were not able to start hitting some jump shots. And they did. 9-20 in the second half. Julian Mackey came on and played maybe his best stretch of the season. You know, He only took three shots, but he made all three of them, and all three of them were threes, and they came – really timely moments to help cut into that lead. Huge threes. Just what an important decision coach had for playing Mac when he did in this whole weekend. Honestly, I, I thought coach coach did well, I would say. It just wasn't enough in the end. Uh, you still had a, a couple of shots. If they go in, the end game goes a little bit differently. And Appalachian state who had been just bad from the line, uh, 10 of 20, I think, entering the final minute or thereabouts. Uh, Miles Tate steps up to the line and hits all his free throws down the stretch and kind of doesn't leave that door open any more than it had been. And so I think all things considered and just talking about that game and 
talking about it, you know, in the as we're going along the season before knowing what happened on Saturday, I think you you never go like oh close close losses like a win because still lost like not do the moral victories thing, but that's the game that I think you wouldn't have been surprised if it got away from them and they lose by double digits. And it's like, Oh, you know, it's a good app state team. You know, they are a top hundred team this year, a lot going well for them. And they have never this season lost in Boone, North Carolina. Like it's a tough place to go and win. I think all of that would have been fine. If just Saturday had been any kind of less bad, or if it was a win, you know, you'd forget about it and move on. Um, I still think that you know maybe the through line of these two games to focus on a positive and it, they're few or far between for Saturday, but Brendan Tucker was four of seven uh, inside the arc. He ended up with 12 points against App State. Uh, he ended up also uh, double digits. He had 19 points on Saturday against Georgia Southern. He was five of six inside the arc. He was nine of 11 on free throws, really got to the line a lot. He drew nine fouls on Saturday. Um, as we are still kind of in limbo, uh, not a lot of um, confirmed anything after the game from Coach Hayes on Dewan's status. He was saying he had got to get with the trainer because he was still unsure at that point um, if it was re-aggravation of the cramps from uh, the App State game or whether it was something else. But with Dewan's status looming, I guess the one thing you'd look to is like, okay, what's going to happen if he is unable to go? And if you're looking for any kind of positive tea leaves, I think Brendan Tucker would see an increased role without Dewan around. And he, among a pretty substandard week all around, had a pretty good performance. And he's a guy that you haven't used as much this year. He's played a much more reduced bench role. Um, he might be getting his time in the spotlight now. Um, and I guess we can turn it around now to the other things on Saturday and I would say a couple of things on Saturday just to kind of temper the conversation on this, at least from my point of view, that Georgia Southern is a top 100 three-point shooting team. You know, they're the top 75 of the nation. They shot seven of 34 from three against Georgia State on a, on the previous Saturday. That was not going to happen again. And it kind of went to the nth degree because you had a guy, Cam Bryant, who was five of six from three, entered the game 25% from three, had not made five threes in a game before. And so, like, there was a degree of they were going to regress to the mean, which is going to mean bad things for Georgia State. And there was also just a degree of, like, guys had days. And some of those threes that Georgia State gave up were not particularly good shots. They just went in. Um, if there was a through line... Don't think they really got Georgia Southern out of a rhythm offensively enough, and it was kind of the total inverse of the game the previous Saturday in Atlanta, where that was a game where Lucas Taylor made shots early, and you could tell his confidence just blew up. He was good all game. You saw that from Georgia Southern's guys, like they were making shots early. They took a six nothing lead early, and and even though Georgia State fought back and even took a little brief lead there in the first half. The, the confidence never wavered for Southern shooting and carried all, all the way to 17 made threes and a really, really ugly stat line for Georgia State's defense. Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly mad at Georgia Southern because 
in the beginning of the game, like the, I would say, you know, break down the halves into four parts, right? There's the first 10 minutes, the latter 10 minutes, and the same thing in the second half. The first 10 minutes, Georgia Southern killed Georgia State off the three-point line. They were getting wide open shots. Georgia State employed a little bit of that zone that had been, you know, helpful for some people. And Georgia Southern busted the zone. Okay, fine. Then the zone started to work a little bit. Georgia Southern wasn't hitting shots. But then Georgia State was actually defending the threes. I think that's what what really sucks about the game is, you know, you we talked all we talked all year about defense and how it feels like you know, there are times when the defense is, you know, okay, maybe they're a little bit more talented than we thought. And then there are times where it's like, wow, no, they really struggle to do a lot of things. And I thought that there was an adjustment period for Georgia State in the game. And then Georgia Southern just started hitting crazy threes. Like there were, I think there was a period where I think it was during that 17-0 run that Georgia Southern went on there was a period where they hit three straight threes all three of them Georgia State was if not in the face they were there like it wasn't like it was just a wide open you know extra pass to a wide open man type three you know Georgia State was there and they did defend as well as one is supposed to defend it's just you know there's only so much you can do when a guy's when a guy's hot a guy's hot so you know it sucks because obviously you know no one's going to go on Ken Palm and talk about nuance and all that stuff like that's not how those you know stat things works and that's fine yeah, it's not the time and place for that but you know i really thought that it wasn't a def- defense problem for some of those threes i mean there were a lot of threes that georgia state defended well they just went in yeah i mean some of it is me kind of looking at it and just saying look this is not a good defensive team they find their moments and game to game and maybe the situation with app state they were going in they knew the type of challenge they were going to face and they rose to that challenge and that's commendable but not something you can look at on a game-to-game basis and expect. I mean, you've got them on the schedule again. You've got some other teams coming up that are good defensive. And so maybe you see them respond and kind of every time they have that moment where they know they've got to play a certain style, they can get up to it. And maybe not. I mean, it might just be that defense lets them down in a lot of games. You know, team shot 42%, made 26% on threes. Not the specifics necessarily, but if when we are talking about Georgia State's final game this year, if we're talking about it and the stat looks exactly like it did or just about what it did just from a shooting perspective, I don't think it would surprise either of us. And that is kind of where I end up looking at this game because, yes, I think they could have done a better job getting out Georgia Southern out of a rhythm early. Obviously, their shooters got hot, and there were definitely some possessions and this was a problem against App State. It's been a problem for a good bit of the year where they were allowing some too easy of runouts. Transition defense has been an issue. It certainly cost them against App State. Uh, they got some nice alley-oops and stuff in transition, just beating Georgia State back. Uh, was a problem again on Saturday. It's been a problem most of the season. Like It is what it is. You said there's not really anything you can do, and the thing you can do is also score because you scored – 90 points plus three games out of five in a recent stretch. So like the 17 0 run certainly gave Georgia Southern control. There were things that before the shots just started falling like crazy, Georgia state could have done a better job defending, but I honestly look at that situation and the way the game got away from them. And I put it on the offense because 
we kind of know this defense is not going to be what leads this team. The offense is going to have to row this boat. It's going to have to lead them to games like the Arkansas State win, where you gave up 90, but you put up 91. So guess what? You win the ball game. This could have been a situation like that where they were going shot for shot with a very hot shooting team. And I think if they had weathered the storm a little bit and stayed in the game offensively, the motivations are different at halftime. The confidence maybe isn't exactly as much there for Georgia Southern, but what you had is kind of all the wrong offensive tendencies for me, where there were some awkward contested long twos, which just never a fan of long twos. It's sometimes something that Lucas Taylor and Tanara Lane can get into where they get on the drive and they pull up like just inside the, the uh, line. And it's like, it's like the worst shot you can take. Cause it's not a three, but it's about as difficult as a three. Um, but you also had some drives where guys maybe beat their first guy, but when they got past him, they were driving into two or three Georgia Southern bodies and having to put up some difficult shots in the lane that weren't falling. And then the third part was sometimes they just missed some bunnies and missed some shots they had to have, you know, we have, sung the praises of Leslie and Carrie Wom, especially last week. I did a whole thing about like, he's been really consistent and unfortunately he had kind of had one of his down weeks because he was two of six against app state. Uh, he was one of three uh, against Georgia Southern uh, had four turnovers and they didn't get the consistency from basically anyone except who I talked about earlier, Brendan Tucker, who had honestly all things considered a really good game, especially offensively. The problem was no one else was really on it when the game, once we, you know, once Georgia Southern hit that run and they were getting confident and it took Georgia state too long to find that. Yeah. Brendan is the guy we've got to feed and just get to run this offense because, you know, they cut it to a single digit game. They cut it to, I think as close as five or six in the first half after all of that. um, But they were playing from behind. So the run they went on didn't get them back in the game and Georgia Southern retook a 12-point lead at halftime and resettled, kept making their shots in the second half. And, like, that's why I go back to, like, yes, the defense is a problem, but we we know that. Like, at this point, we know where this team is strong, where this team has issues, and it hasn't been the offense. But in this game, you know, they scored in just into 70 in garbage time against a team that they just scored 90 against and who's been giving up in the eighties regularly all season. Like that's where I think they just were not good enough. And yes, shooting on the roads, hard playing on the road, winning on the road, all of that hard. It's a rivalry game situation, but like if the offense is going to let them down in the game, this is just not the team you can expect is going to be able to just win at the defensive end. We know there's games they're going to have to scrap in that regard. They certainly did it on Wednesday, but like, they've just got to always be on offensively and they weren't on Saturday. And I think that truthfully is what buried them just as much as some ugly stat lines defensively. I also think to a, you know, a point that you made earlier, um, sometimes the best defense is just a good offense. You know, if they force Georgia Southern to do some different things because the offense is actually putting the ball through the hoop. I mean, you know, it's a lot harder to run out and transition when you're scoring. It's, you know, that's kind of just the reality of the situation and they didn't do that. So, you know, you hope that there's a little bit more offensive consistency, you know, moving forward. I'm not sure that I'm worried about it just because like you said, this has been a team that scored in the nineties. Like we talked about, 
about last week. They have scored in the 90s before multiple times this year. Um, and, you know, it, it's a it's not necessarily the easiest group of games. Georgia State has a better record versus um, like overall record than Marshall and Coastal Carolina, but it's still road games. And, you know, even after that, they've got to play App State again. They've got to play Troy. James Madison is coming up on the schedule. So the offense is going to need to be there regardless of who, you know, is going to be on the other side and whoever Georgia State is playing wherever they're playing. So, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, the road trip does not stop. Uh, they are back on the road this Wednesday in Huntington where they, when they will play Marshall. And they will finish the weekend in Conway, South Carolina. They will go to Coastal Carolina. Marshall, not in the exact same spot, but a very similar spot to Georgia State right now because they started out Sunbelt play 4-0, and they have lost their last four. Uh, they are 9-11 and as things stand on the season. Uh, they're coached by program legend Dan D'Antoni in his 10th season in charge. And then as far as the Chanticleers, Chanticleers go, they are in a bit more spot of bother uh, than either Georgia State or Marshall. Uh, they are 5-13. and 13. They're one spot off the bottom of the conference standings with a 2-5 and five conference record. Uh, Benny Moss is overseeing the program on an interim basis after the mid-year retirement of Cliff Ellis. Uh, D1 coaching legend who uh, was with Coastal since 2007. It does kind of line up, uh, not the exact same as this past week, but you look at Marshall as the quote-unquote better team that you're playing first, kind of like App State, and then you head on the road to, I think Georgia State will be favored in this game, much like they were favored against Georgia Southern. Again, yeah, against Coastal, they will be favored. Um, but obviously, as we just saw, that doesn't mean a lot, and it's going to be the way that last week went, it does make the idea of trying to get a sweep here and go two and zero on the road much. You know, at that point, you're talking about them being back at six and three in conference play, and then they're getting to come home for a couple, even if it is against some tough opponents. Uh, but certainly, you got to circle that coastal game now. Like, okay, you lost the Georgia Southern one to be serious and to be where you want to be, even as kind of just a baseline expectation, not competing for conference championships, you can't lose both these games to Georgia Southern and Coastal Carolina. Uh, you cannot go 0-4 on this road trip. Uh, it would be, unfortunately, in all the wrong ways, eerily similar to last year and the way this team struggled. And it felt like this team was past that. Um, we talked about it in terms as if they were already past that. We were talking about the wins over Old Dominion and Georgia Southern at home. And so if nothing else will make us look bad if uh, it, they're not past that. But more importantly, we've seen a couple of times this season, you know, Kennesaw State was coming off of a tough loss before they played Georgia State. And we saw that response from them and the way they won that game. It's not the first time uh, you've seen a little bit of that, uh, like some Southern Miss coming off, getting blown out by, funnily enough, Georgia Southern. Georgia State's in that spot right now. And so I think you can expect or demand whatever you want to say, a similar type of response from the Georgia State team when they play Marshall on Wednesday. Like if losses like the one you just had, especially to a rival, don't get some kind of major response in terms of the energy you bring that next game, then that's a problem. Sounds like a really funny way for you to say that you're giving a vibe check for Georgia State and don't know what the answer is. Yes, I, 
I think we would have said the vibes were great or just like at least good just two games ago. But that's how sometimes season goes and consistency we talked about. It. It's been an issue and it's going to be uh, – it's similar that you're playing the, the quote-unquote better team first. It's also similar that you're playing the defensive team first. You know, you look at Marshall. They've certainly led the way with their defense this year. They're kind of similar to Georgia State in reverse or the inverse of Georgia State where their defensive numbers are about as good as Georgia State's offensive numbers are. Their offensive numbers are about as bad, if not a little bit worse, than Georgia State's defensive numbers are. So it will be one where whoever establishes it might have a little bit of advantage because, you know, look at the last couple of weeks, Marshall lost at home 91-85 to South Alabama, Certainly a game that played out on terms of uh, the Jaguars in that one. And then I what must rate is one of the more surprising outcomes so far this season, along with Georgia State's loss to Georgia Southern, to be clear. Uh, Marshall lost 91-66 at Old Dominion, uh, giving the Monarchs their first conference win, and so far their only conference win. And it was a game that was not... Like Old Dominion was leading, I think, by double digits with like seven minutes left, but it was not 25 points up. They really poured it on late. Um, and that does, you know, in that game, Old Dominion hit their threes. Uh, they did not turn the ball over. And so they were able to kind of do what they wanted to offensively. We've seen this team take care of the ball in most of the games they've played. So heading into this game against Marshall, team that's, really hung their hat on defense. They're able to keep possession, get more into their flow than they never really did against Georgia Southern offensively. That will at least give them a shot because said all we, you know, through this pot about like, yeah, maybe they get up for this app, you know, the Marshall game defensively. Cause that's what they did against app state. Cause they knew the challenge they're going to get. I just don't think you can count on that. Like at this point, I think you kind of have to just look at it in a situation where it's like, Georgia State's going to have to be the one scoring 75-80 in this game, playing it in their terms, because game to game right now, you just can't really expect that defensively. Uh, so if, if it's another, you know, if Marshall is up to the task and they're making their shots, we saw what happened on Saturday when a team who's maybe, uh, you know, if they're hitting their threes, might be trouble for Georgia State. Yeah, Georgia State's really going to want to get their own excitement, their own energy, and, you know, not sweeping this week certainly puts Georgia State in a bad position um, going forwards. You know, it's never too it, – Georgia State is not a team that should be looking past any opponent. Um, so I don't even say that from a March perspective. Um, but the middle of the Sun Belt, even with James Madison having two losses and, you know, I'll go all the way down to South Alabama. There's just a lot of teams between James Madison and South Alabama. We've only played seven games, so that's how that works. But, you know, it would be nice if Georgia State can, you know, right themselves and get back to having some good vibes. Because I, I think the way that I see this team, and, I, you know, I, it's rich for me to say this, you know, in the podcast before they play similar to how they did last week. I think Georgia State is a 
and a decent team. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that they are the best team, but I also like, I, I think the bottom has been found and the bottom was last year. You know, it would genuinely out like truthfully outside of an absolute catastrophe affecting the available players on the team. There's no chance that Georgia State loses out and does not at least eclipse last year's team. You know, I still think they have a pretty good shot of, you know, what if they win 50 percent of their games left? They'll be a little bit around, you know, what, 16, 17 wins this year. I think they can still at least push towards 20 wins. I really do. I really think that there is enough talent. They like this is a team that can win tournament games, uh, Sunbelt tournament games. The question is going to be day in and day out. Are they going to put together 40 minutes of basketball where the offense is actually moving the ball? Well, you know, Jaden Turner is getting his six to eight offensive rebounds a game or whatever um, on his way to 15 and the defense is doing enough because sometimes, and we've seen it this year before you just need to do enough on defense. You don't even need to be good. Yes, obviously it would be better to be good, but in the Arkansas state game, they did enough when they came back against old dominion. They did enough, you know, South Alabama, South Alabama just dropped 91 on Marshall. Like you said, and Georgia state held them to 76 and that game. Wasn't really all of that close, you know, Obviously, I'm working with seven conference games, so there's still plenty of time to, you know, maybe they are a worse defensive team than we thought. Maybe they are a better defensive team than we thought. There's still so much, and the sample sizes are still pretty small, but seven it's still seven games. You know, we've seen this team line up a good bit, and you want to see some of that consistency kind of smooth out. And, I mean, there's a good chance to play a Marshall team that I think, you know, if they're holding Marshall – if it's late in the second half and Marshall is, you know, not in the mid sixties, you know, because they're scored lower, I think Georgia state has a good chance of winning that game. And, you know, you really like, I know that going on the road at coastal has given Georgia state problems over the years, regardless of the talent, but it's, it's really just the game that you have to have. You really have to have it. And like, look, hating on Georgia Southern is a pastime for Georgia state fans. And you don't, you know, I don't got to hand it to them. But if you look at the numbers, they've been the third most efficient offense in conference play in the Sun Belt. They shot, you know, they're shooting just under 41% on threes in Sun Belt play in those seven games. The best in the conference, Arkansas State's the only team close to them. Uh, Coastal Carolina is the bottom in Sun Belt efficiency offensively in conference play. Uh, they are turning it over almost 20% of the time. Uh, they are shooting 26% on threes. Uh, you go across, and the point I want to make is like, they can lose that game. If that's the one where they're giving up 50 plus percent from three and they're giving up 90 points or you know, 86 points again, like that's a five alarm fire. I'm not saying they can't lose that game in another way, and they certainly can't. It, pretend they're just good enough to walk in and beat anyone. They're going to have to go out there and do it. But the ways in which they lost to Georgia Southern on Saturday, this weekend shouldn't be replicable because you look at it, Marshall also in the bottom half in conference games, uh, offensive efficiency, uh, 
eighth in three point percentage at 31.7. Not particularly great in making twos either 10th in the conference and two point percentage. And all of that to say, Georgia state is still, you know, 73rd on the season at three point percentage. Like it was a bit of an aberration. They had a, not only just a bad uh, defensive performance for, against three against Georgia Southern, but like a horrendously bad one. So that's where you look for to expect that it could be a one-off defensively, that you're not facing the same caliber of shooting that you did in that last game, even if it is a team that had a three and 15 record heading into it. Um, so it, it, you would hope that it will not be a loss in the same way that this last one was, because that's where you can start to be really concerned because it, they can beat you in other ways, and certainly Georgia State's going to be ready for them to do so. But this shouldn't be another week where we are talking about the same way that they lost this last one, because that's where it starts to be a real, real concern. Because just, they just are not the type of teams with the, what they their skill sets are to let you let them be the ones beating you like that. And so, like I say, going to be about the response, going to be about the coaching staff getting them back up for these games after like is the easiest material to just get some motivation out of guys with the way they played on Saturday. I think Jonas called the 17 threes allowed unconscionable after the game. And like that energy will serve them well to get up for this one. And they're going to need to, because this is a chance to make last week, just kind of a, Oh yeah, that was an unfortunate game instead of a trend and a trend that felt a lot like last year did or feels a lot like last year did. The only other note uh, basketball wise, and we'll leave a lot of this off because the game's in a couple of weeks, but we did see this across the wire today that the pairings for the second round of the Mac SBC challenge have been announced. And it's an easy one for Georgia state fans because Miami of Ohio is the opponent that both the men's and the women's team are going to play on Saturday, February 10th. Um, it is a home game for the men's team because the Sunbelt teams went on the road back in November for the first uh, first game, whereas it is going to be on the road for the women's team because the Sunbelt were the hosts the first time around. Um, the way this is set up, it's teams that are the, you know in that spot the relative spot in the uh, the net for each conference. So I believe both Georgia State and Miami are the sixth-ranked teams in their conference. And so it is set up to be a, this is kind of a like-for-like team that you're going to play. So you look at it, and certainly, especially with them at home, you hope it'd be a win. It's not something that on paper you, you would chalk up as a certain loss. And chance for Georgia State to sweep the MAC teams they played in the challenge. I guess they didn't. They they lost Northern Illinois, but as far as challenge games go, which uh, the Sun Belt men's team has, I believe, some work to do to catch up. Uh, Georgia State has a chance to go two and zero. They'll get a chance at home February tenth against the Miami Redhawks. Not too much crossover, I feel like, between Georgia State and Miami of Ohio. So this will be this will be an interesting chance to see Georgia State play a university that I cannot recall them having a prior meeting in yes. basketball or certainly football. not football a uh, different red school from the uh, mac ball state they have played a, a few times uh one of which will live happily in the memory of georgia state fans that happened most recently in the camellia bowl uh 
believe the only common opponent Miami and Georgia State have on the men's side is Western Michigan, whom Georgia State beat in the second game of the season and who uh, Miami lost to uh, 83-74 in Kalamazoo January 2nd. So common opponents don't really mean much, but if they mean anything, um, that's something you have to go off of while we uh, look forward to that game in the future. But that is going to do it for this edition of the Thursday Night Podcast. The two-man game, I think, is over again. Uh, Jordan shall be back shepherding us next week. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. And uh, especially a weeks like this, appreciate the loyal listenership because I know when you're aware the news is that two receivers have left and the team lost both games they played on the men's basketball schedule, one of which heavily to a rival it does not make for the most appealing listening. I know hitting play was not an easy task for you guys this week. I know you had to take a little bit of a breath to be like, okay, let's uh, let's think about Georgia State Athletics again after Saturday. Uh, so we appreciate you doing so, continuing to do so, and we will catch you next time.